This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an awesome online learning community filled with thousands of creative video classes taught by experts and professionals. With topics ranging from how to start a side hustle, meditation, the stock market, graphic design, cooking, coding, and everything in between. Learn that skill you were always curious about or kickstart that passion project you've always wanted to. Sign up using our special Suck In Between link in the episode notes or our Insta bio for a free 30-day trial. Hello and welcome back to the Stuck In Between podcast. My name is Romy. And I'm Sandan. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the second episode of our two-part series on Indian mythology with world-renowned mythologist, author, speaker and illustrator Devdutt Patanayak. In part one, Devdutt gave us really great insights to lay the foundation on mythologies, such as the different types of mythology, their similarities and differences, the role it has played throughout history and how it's been impacted by colonialism. Make sure to check out part one if you haven't already. In the second part, we dive into Indian mythology specifically and speak with Edad on topics like why Hinduism has so many gods, the significance of epics like the Mahabharata and Ramayana, how concepts like karma and dharma are often misunderstood and misconceptions of Indian mythology as well as so much more. Yeah, we're so excited for you to listen to the episode, so let's get into it. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, I would say that I was brought up Hindu, but I'm not super religious myself. But uh, what I do really love is the stories and the wisdom in all of our stories. And I know Rami's a little bit the same. Um, I wanted to ask, what does Hinduism mean for you personally? I think for me, it's my way of thinking. My, for me, Hinduism is the way I see the world and I understand the world. So Hinduism told me about multiple truths. Mangal told me about impermanent truths. Hinduism told me that nothing is universal that different people are different and think differently and that human beings will be human beings no matter what technology they'll have. So these ideas that I live by really come from Hinduism. They didn't come pop into my head one day. They did come because I was exposed to stories that I analyzed and they made, suddenly I saw the world very differently. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's the missing piece there. The fact that you were able to analyze the deeper meanings behind the stories and rituals, which I think is a missing link for a lot of people, including myself for so many years, because we're just taught everything in a very surface level. Um, I guess to that point, what do you think some of the misconceptions on Hinduism or Hindu mythology are? And not just from like an, a Western perspective, but also from an Eastern perspective. I think the biggest mistake is that it's a hero's journey, that it's about happily ever after. It's projecting Western thought onto Indian thought. That God means the same thing in the Bible and the Puranas. Krishna means the same thing as Christ. Jannat or heaven in Islam is the same thing as Indra's paradise. This kind of artificial thing is the, causes a lot of dissonance. It is mm. trying to explain cricket using the rules of football. <laughs> you know that's where the problem comes when you try to explain one game using the other so don't try to confuse the two yes there's a ball yeah. and there's a bat but it's not the same thing 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And I guess speaking of the gods, one of the questions that a lot of people commonly ask when it comes to Hinduism is why do we have so many gods? And I mean, even I've asked that question myself. So what is your answer to why there's so many gods in Indian mythology and how the the Indian or the Hindu definition of God differs from other religions? See, the interesting thing is why are we even asking this question? It's because the assumption over here is A, there is one God, there should be mm. one God, or there should be no God. So there is a alternate, you know, why shouldn't people have many gods? Because the world, the colonial discourse that there should be only one God or no God. And therefore, that's the background of this question. So first, let's ask, where did this question emerge mm-hmm. from? thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago, would the ancient Egyptians ask this question? Would the ancient Greeks ask this question? Would Socrates ask this question? Would Plato ask this question? You know, so the question emerges from a colonial mind which says there is only one God or there is no God. Both of these ideas, all cultures around the world have had many, many, many gods. In India, we never rejected gods. So there are local gods, there are Plants and trees are gods. Every living creature is God. Non-living things are God. There is limited gods who are limited by space or time. There are gods which are timeless. There are gods with form. There are gods without form. There are ideas which are considered gods. You know, for the idea of infinity. The word for infinity is Ananda. And that's the name of God. And that instantly tells you that everything is God. And For example, in Hollywood, God means someone with very power. A lot of power. A powerful being who helps you is God. Mm. That's not the definition in Hinduism. That's a, you know, Percy Jackson, gods, I'm God of thunder, lightning, all those video games. Gods are just superheroes who help you. It's just another word for superheroes who help you. That's not Hinduism. There's nothing superheroic about Krishna. There's nothing superheroic about Ram. The, the superpower comes from the refined thinking. The refined thinking, they have all the knowledge of the world, not the truth, but param satya. They have all the truths of the world. So, um, you know, I never get defensive in these questions because I keep saying, that, why are you asking this question? And that is I think, where my scholarship came from. I started questioning the questions. Mm. I started asking, why are you asking this question? Later, I realized this is called postmodern. I never knew these words. I didn't a philosophy background or a literary background. I came from a science background. But my scientific mind said, why is this question being asked? And then I said, oh, this is what it is. It's coming from this place. Because there's an assumption of what, how many gods there should be in the world. Who decided that? You know, and that's an interesting question. So, Ganesha, why do you all worship elephants? Why shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Isn't it wonderful to have gods with different forms and shapes and sizes? It's inherited over centuries and therefore we respect them. But new gods are coming up every day. Yeah, I love that because I can recall being back at school and being defensive when people asked that question. Like, oh, why do you guys have so many gods? That's a bit weird. But I would never put it back to them to question why having so many gods was an issue in the first place. Um, And another interpretation which I really love is that we have so many gods because they all represent different parts of who mm. we are um so we have something you know specific to turn to to get clarity or focus on 
one aspect of life or you know something in particular that we're working through see when you that don't right. believe in diversity and you don't believe in inclusion you will have one god or no god the moment you believe in diversity and inclusion you will have many gods it's as simple as that it's just the diversity and inclusion is a topic discovered 10 years ago <laughs> while it mm. discovered in a thousand years it was always there the japanese had knew it the chinese knew it so it was always there it's just that oh now you've discovered this new thing and you're excited about it but it's known my dear it's like you've discovered america america had discovered a long time ago it was always there yeah for sure something else that i think gets misunderstood uh concepts like karma and dharma so if you ask the average person what does karma mean they'll say do good things and good things will happen to you or good do good things and you get good things in return uh which is not quite what it actually means uh could you explain some of these concepts in hinduism like karma and dharma which do often get misunderstood so you see the uh, people are trying to see you know we have this thing about all religions are the same and therefore we try to come with common things so in the bible there is a line which says as you sow so you reap mm. and we think that means karma but that's a biblical line that's not a hindu line the indian line is focus on your actions don't bother with the results why are they saying that they're saying that because they say you will not so reap as you sow you can only control the act of sowing there are no guarantees of what you will reap and that's karma it is not a predictable certain outcome the unique thing about western thought is that there's a yearning for certainty mm-hmm. and indian thought is comfortable with uncertainty this is the fundamental difference so when they say as you sow so you reap they look at karma as justice it's your karma you got it no there is no guarantee there are no guarantees in life you don't know which seed is going to sprout not all seeds turn into trees because you have realized life is complex mm-hmm. and certainty is so that's karma factors in uncertainty of life like things are causal but you can't control it science tells you about causality but we're trying to control it we want everything to be within our control and indian thought is about you can't control everything you can control some things and try to control what you can control many things you can't control and it's perfectly fine this current moment is a combination of things that were in your control and things that were not in your control it's not one or the other this almost obsession with not being certain you never know you never know they'll always keep using this thing you never know and that's indian head shake you never absolute there's no binary there is no binary so that's why karma comes there dharma basically uh, the word dharma is people use it as responsibility duty but the technical meaning is in nature the strong consume the weak humans are the only creatures where the strong can protect the weak and that is dharma so doing dharma is to go against the natural trend the natural trend is my survival i take care of myself humans say that you know i can take care of others too now while that sounds like a very noble concept it again in thought will say that you know but that's easier said than done because who do you protect who do you declare as yours and who do you say is not yours on mm-hmm. on what basis do you say that okay these are my people and i'll protect them and how do you say that these are not my people and i don't care about them who decides who creates this boundary between 
me and you, this stranger and family, who creates these boundaries? So uh, that is called dharma sankat, the ethical dilemma. Mm. So when you're talking about karma and dharma, you have to also talk of the ethical dilemma, which comes because what you think is the right thing has consequences. So in Western thought, they always use words like good, bad, right, wrong. Indian thought never uses this because they know that in every action, somebody is going to get hurt. Somebody is going to not agree with you for everything that you do. You're, you know, you're freezing to death and you cut a tree to get wood in the house. The tree which you cut has killed so many animals. Those animals hate you. But because you cut the tree, you ensure survival of your family. So are you a good person or a bad person? Mm. Now, the Western will say, I did what I have to do. And Indian thought will say, no. <laughs> because tomorrow the birds will come and say that gang up against you and say, you destroyed the tree that was home. That's the Indian philosophy is like, okay, yeah, 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 it's good, good, good. They always have this kind of a doubt about it. They're like, not sure. So far, so good. We never know when the birds will come and attack us. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting because it seems that non-binary approach is such an integral part of Indian life even today. And I remember watching your corporate psychology TED talk and mm. even in that you talk about that um, there's no such thing as good versus bad or right versus wrong. It's all a little bit unsure. And I think it's such a good learning from Indian mythology and Hinduism because it kind of teaches you that the only thing you can really control are your actions and I guess your reactions to things that happen um, rather than, you know, the, the outcome almost. Well, I hope so, because you see, we are conditioned to think Western. And for me, Western thought is about right, this gradation, I'm right. That's why words like ethics, when people say it's ethical, it's moral, what they're saying is it's an action without consequences. It's an ethical decision. It's a moral decision, which means this action does not have consequences. While Hindu thought will say, you know, ethical, unethical doesn't matter. Good, bad doesn't matter. Your action will have a consequence. And whether you like it or not, there'll be someone who will hate you for doing mm. what you think is a good deed. Yeah. This creates the problem, right? This is the problem statement. It's called dharma sankat. You know, you want to do the best thing in the world, but the nicest thing in the world is going to upset someone. So that's where dharma becomes complex idea. It's not a simplistic. Unfortunately, we're trying to explain karma as justice, dharma as responsibility, mm. and it becomes a neat packaging. But when you read the stories, you're like, you know, it doesn't quite fit in. And that's yeah. the irritation which led me to the analysis because when people would tell me words I remember the word dharma is translated in most Indian children's comic as righteousness it is the worst translation on earth unfortunately done by people who didn't understand either English very well or dharma very well mm. including Indians because they went to schools and they just everybody just copy paste and ah, dharma is a righteousness simple answer children will understand easy and it just moves ahead over generations. So three generations of children have read Dharma is Righteousness. And when I say, uh, not really, they're like, who oh, does the Patnaik think he is? He's smarter than my teachers or what? And I'm like, you know, I just went to the basics and I'm just asking you very basic questions because the basic question in India is rebirth. Mm. Yeah, and you've just referenced Indian stories and two of the biggest Indian stories or epics are the Mahabharata and Ramayana. So I don't think we can have this conversation without diving into them a little bit more. Could you talk to us and, and give our listeners a bit of context on what these epics are really about and provide some context behind them? Because I think given that 
you know, they've been rewritten so many times. Maybe some of the original meanings been taken out a little bit over time. So Ramayana and Mahabharat are the two epics. They were approximately formalized around 2000 years ago. And it is through these two great epics, the idea of dharma spread across India. This whole idea of karma and dharma and dharma sankat is reached every corner of India through this story. They never tell it in so many words, but that's what it is there constantly happening. So if you look at Ramayana and Mahabharata, they're both property disputes. It's family disputes, property disputes. Is this mine? This is yours. And the whole idea of how will God respond in this crisis? And God here means someone who has all the wisdom in the world. The Mm -hmm. wisest of beings, if he was sitting amongst you, how would he respond to a daily crisis of two brothers fighting over property? So Ram, when he's told that this kingdom will go to your brother and not to you and you have to go to the forest, he says, okay. He just does not argue. He does not say, why is my property being given away to someone else? Because he says, it's not my property. And this is a very sophisticated idea. Why would someone say this? And he would say, the earth doesn't belong to me anyway. This idea of ownership, that this is my property, itself is delusion. Now that's refined thinking. So if the wise man lived amongst you, this is how he would respond. Or think of the Mahabharat. Mahabharat is again a property disputes, cousins fighting over a land, and Krishna is trying to negotiate peace between them. In the end, Krishna, the God on earth, is trying to establish dharma and is cursed by the mother of the villains. Now you'll say, hey, what is going on? Did he do a good deed? Did he help establish dharma? Then they're saying, what is dharma? Well, Pandavas were right. And that's the problem. When we start using words like right and wrong, we don't get the story. Mm. This was sharing. Can you share the wealth? You couldn't share the wealth. And the war is going to make the mother unhappy. She doesn't care whether her children were heroes or villains. For her, they were her children. And she is going to curse Krishna. The God is going to be cursed. So now the stories of God being cursed. Now find one Western narrative where gods are cursed. So even when you do a good deed, even when God does a good deed on earth, he is going to suffer for it because he is going to make someone unhappy. Now, this kind of understanding is there in the Ramayana and Mahabharata. It's not told in the popular books because popular books are very happy to say Krishna is a good guy, Pandavas are good guys, Kauravas are bad guys, good guy killed the bad guy. And then the children read the book and read the story and say, but it doesn't sound right. Something sounds really wrong. This is nasty. This is cheating. And then you're like, you know, you're really, as I said, trying to explain soccer using the rules of cricket. And that's why it's sounding funny. And that's what has happened to Hindu stories. I see so many new fiction writers writing Ramayana and Mahabharata, very super successful, feminists writing about Ramayana and Mahabharata, the women's point of view. And I'm like, you know, I have no problem with your point of view. But the clarity is not there about what is dharma, what are these books, what were the writers aiming to communicate? But we don't reflect on this question. We just say, Pandavas are good. No, Pandavas are not good. Because the good, bad prevents us from analyzing it further. It's like a roadblock, stonewalling. Words like good, bad, right and wrong stonewall intellectual death. Because you're not allowed to go deeper. There is no good actions. Did Steve Jobs do a good job by creating the Apple phones? Is Jeff Bezos good? Now, this does not allow you to analyze. It blocks you. 
because this idea of good and bad comes from judgment and judgment is a christian concept is an islamic concept it's mm. not a hindu concept mm. god doesn't judge there is no judgment there is you will keep being reborn 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 again and again and again and again and that is something which can be a little mind boggling is like you know the world will continue without you well okay big deal the world will come to an end the world will, no that's not acceptable because you want certainty you mm. want i save the planet i save the world i want to be the savior so this is not an indian idea mm. yeah i think uh growing up we are often told these stories in a very black or white way right um like you said they're taught more as kind of good over evil sort of tales um but it's only when we take a step further to explore these narratives for what they truly are where we kind of unlock the great richness and wisdom in them and how deep and profound the messages are um so to that point could you shed some light on the life lessons you find in these epics like the mahabharata and ramayana i think uh, it is the realization that heroes can be villains and villains can be heroes in different contexts you know ram the great hero who rescues his wife from ravan in another context abandons her and whether you like it or not the act of abandonment is a cruel act but the fact is he does abandon her and what does it mean now our natural mind will say is it right or wrong and then you miss the point if you ask the question is it right or wrong rather than why did he do it mm. and would i have done the same thing in his place that is the real good question to ask rather than he's wrong because as i said judgment does not allow in depth analysis it doesn't ask allow you to go deeper and ask hey i could do the same thing would i do the same thing what would be the consequences if i didn't didn't do it now those are conversations to have mahabharat when the pandavas go to heaven they find the kauravs there the heroes find the villains in heaven now the first is heaven heaven should be for heroes how are villains there was going to question because indian notion of heaven hero villain is not the greek version is not the biblical versions so why are you projecting biblical visions and greek visions into an indian story and therefore now you learn about diverse cultures different ways of thinking and you'll say oh this is how the indians think this is how now when you read a japanese story you will see something totally different which will not connect with you and say oh but that's the way the japanese saw it you know that's the way the chinese saw it this is the way they thought emperors exist when you read the monkey king monkey king is a very famous story but it's told terribly nowadays it's told in this children jumping out fashion it's about uh, power it's about elemental power what does it do to power how do you control power that's what uh, the monkey king is a very famous chinese epic uh, which talks about what how power drives you mad and to what are what is required to contain it and that's the story but that's not the way the story is told the story is told oh he went on adventures he killed a lot of bad guys he had good guys great entertainment but not a lot of this mm. yeah and i guess why would you say or what would you say to someone in terms of why these texts are so important you see why do we tell disney stories disney stories are telling us to look at the world in a particular way but in only one way right until recently there were princesses who needed men to save them now the princesses are fighting and they become warriors because disney has decided violent women will save the world so previously violent men saved the world and now violent women will save the world and i'm like oh my god can we have alternate stories please is it possible can we have another story where violence is not the solution to life's problem superheroes are violent why because supervillains are violent and i'm like 
really the reason you like violence is because you can show it on screen. You can't show non-violence on screen. It's boring. It's not thrilling. It will not get you the billions of dollars that you aspire for. Don't market it as an ethical action. Say that you are telling a story that will give you the money. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but be clear of the cause and the effect. So Ramayana and Mahabharat is a very different way of telling the story. Unfortunately, today, if you pick up Ramayana and Mahabharat that you're reading casually, you will end up with a hero's journey. You will end up with a right and wrong version. So you don't really get the Ramayana and Mahabharat. Unfortunately, that's what's going on. There are people like you who are saying that, you know what, something doesn't make sense. Because I know a lot of young people, I get calls from around the world, we do these podcasts, where they're saying something is not fitting in right. Something is amiss, that there's a dissonance. And because you are aware of the dissonance, it's forcing you to look at the stories differently. You're not looking at meta stories. You're stepping back and saying, hey, manga stories are so different from the Hindu stories. Hindu stories are so different from Greek stories. Greek stories are so different from the Aborigine stories. Why are they different? And now let me understand the world differently. So I think, yes, Ramayana Mahabharata should be read if you want to understand South Asia better. How is it that a subcontinent had so many languages, so many cultures, so many gods, so many structures? Why, why this entire part of the world thought differently? Where did Buddhism come from? How did Buddhism function? Why did it not thrive in India? It's a complex conversation. Why does it not thrive in India? And it's, these are things that explain so Like if Buddhism is such a great thing, why does it not thrive in the country of its birth? No, but it was there, it spread for a long time. It was the most powerful thing in the world. Why did it not thrive? So these are questions that force us to ask. So Ramayana and Mahabharata um, are stories that help you understand India better. But if you analyze, not just if you tell the story, just as when you, you understand Disney better when you analyze them. Mm. When you analyze, somebody said, hey, wait a minute, why are women always damsels in distress? But what is the solution to that? And, you know, then the, the challenge of storytelling emerges in the way. So that's how much can you change a story? A fairy tale can be changed. Can you retell the Bible differently? You won't be allowed to change the Bible differently. Mm. You can change in the original Hercules story. Hercules kills his wife and children brutally in a fit of madness that is given by the gods. In the Disney version, he's having a happy married life with his wife and child. Mm. Which is the story you should tell the children. Because for thousands of years, you were telling children the story that Hercules killed his wife and children in a fit of madness. But Disney decided that its market needs a very happy child. Hercules must have a happy family. Yeah. Isn't that cultural destruction? Mm. Yeah, it's almost like it's taking these really rich stories and then putting your own agenda onto it and, and yeah. spinning it in a way that you want the, the audience to consume that. So in the, the story of Hercules, I mean, the original really talks about and, and teaches big things like dealing with grief and loss, but then Disney spins it in a way that it wants its children to, to consume it and it wants its audience to, to look at it, which... I don't know. I feel like it's it's almost damaging in a way. And that's exactly the problem with Ramayana Mahabharata. When you see the current television versions of it, mm. we suddenly designed and rather than just being told the way they were with, you know, with its complexities, you have suddenly created versions which sort of sort of deny the alternate versions. 
And remember, these stories were always told in this way. That I have heard the story from so and so, and I got the story from so and so. So you know what I'm saying is really could be not be correct. There's always a lot of caveats and clauses to say that you know I've heard it. So please read more. Please listen to the other version. There is no definitive version. Mm. Yeah. So because of all of these misconceptions that we've spoken about, and because of all the things that are underappreciated about Indian mythology and Hinduism, do you feel like young people in particular are moving away from religion um because you know we've i mean Sandin and i we've spoken throughout this conversation on how we're taught things more on a surface level um without knowing the deeper meanings do you think maybe in this modern society that people's relationship with religion is changing so life is always going to be in a flux there'll be people who will change the fact that you have now live in another country you will think differently if you mm. move from village to the city the world changes i'm sure i am not living the way my grandparents lived my parents my grandparents lived in some village in odisha my father migrated to the city my life my lifestyle is very different so we all choose our paths and our choose our journeys and ideas will come and go and they will transform over time and so clinging on to these things is foolish you know carry on with things that make you happy try to hold on to things that make sense to you that give you emotional support but also let go of things over time it's it's fine the world does you don't have to cling on to a dead body you know it has to be <laughs> it has to let go it'll come back something new will emerge some new ideas will emerge so i think that's part of life we should not get hysterical about things indians have always you know we take the images of our gods and throw them in the river because gods come and go and it's okay to everything doesn't have to be put in a museum So I don't believe in museums. I don't believe in tombs. I don't believe in memorials. I believe that things come and they go and they change and they transform. Nobody told me to do what I'm doing. I'm doing it because it's fun and mm. it also made me famous and rich. But that was not the intention. I didn't do it to become rich and famous. It just happened, and I was walking a very different path, and this happened. So I think life just happens. Lots of beautiful things happen. Opportunities and threats come along the way. Navigate through this, and new mythologies will emerge as time passes. Some ch- stories will change. Ideas will transform to prepare us for a newer world, because the new world challenges are going to be different from the old world challenges. The stories written mm-hmm. from the new world will be different from the stories written from the old world. And whether you like it or not, there are ideas in Hindu mythology that is not there in other parts of the world. and mm. therefore like plants which when you know we we were, we're trying to conserve plants because there may be a solution which we don't know hidden in some rainforest out there so don't wipe out the rainforests in the same way don't wipe out all the stories let the stories be there someone will figure out something the way i figured out so many little details about hinduism and india and buddhism and jainism which i didn't find in other stories around the world so i keep it alive my way not out of a sense of mission not to save the culture but because i enjoy doing it and awesome. i think we should focus on doing that you know the yeah. mango tree does not produce mangoes because it wants to conserve the mango race <laughs> yeah it produces mangoes because that's all it can do yeah yeah i love that Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, given all of the wisdom and lessons to be learned through mythology, which might be getting lost a little because of everything we spoke about, how do you think that um, that it should be taught for it to resonate more with the younger audience? I I think um, analyzing stories and comparing them with stories and without judgment. 
showing them how Greek mythology is different from the biblical mythology, is different from the Chinese mythology, is different from the Indian mythology, is different from Buddhist, Hindu, Buddhist, Jain, how they're different from each other, how the Aboriginal stories are different. Difference does not mean better or worse. Biggest thing to learn. That's the biggest mm. science. It is scientific because science does not tell you it's better or worse. Value comes from ego. It's nothing to do with science. Science doesn't tell you gold is better than silver. The mm. market does. Mm. Science doesn't tell you gold. It says gold is gold, silver is silver. Platinum is platinum. The market tells you gold and silver. So don't confuse the market with science. Approach and try to see these stories, the differences. I think we should focus a lot on the delta. The Because we live in this uh, we are using these words diversity and inclusions. Let's study the diversity of stories. Let's talk in colleges about different ways of approaching science. Let's understand, you know, no, don't get angry with colonization as if it's the worst thing that happened on earth and you wipe it out. You won't. We are all beneficiaries of colonization. Let's be very clear about it. This kind of childish hatred for white, white people is a very sad thing which is happening in the West. It's a very foolish thing. It's definitely not an Indian thing. Mm. Right. Yeah, and I think to the point that you just made, it's it's so important that these stories are taught. I think from that from that from an analytical point of view, and also teaching the differences. I think you brought up such a good point, especially from a young age. We'll just reap acceptance and teach kids that you know everyone's different and people have different viewpoints, but it's okay, and that's you know that's just how the world is. So I think it's it's so important to teach. That, that as well, not just your own and, and what you've been taught or your own religion, but also others to, to help expand that knowledge too. Um, and I think you just touched on it a little bit as well, but why do you think that in this day and age, in 2021, mythology and, you know, Indian mythology or really any mythology is still relevant? And, you know, we, we see it a lot when it comes to things like, you know, meditation and mindfulness and everything, which has become such a front of mind thing, especially in the West. Um, but yeah, wh why do you think it's still so relevant? I think it's because you're still looking for meaning. Mm. And meaning is something that every child will look for. You can have all the technology in the world. You can have the best cars. You can have all the wealth in the world. You can have the most loving parents in the world. But meaning, we want to know why do we exist? And this is never going to go away. No technology on earth. Amazon will not take care of it. Apple won't take care of it. Facebook won't take care of it. China's firewall won't take care of it. Taliban won't take care of it. None of them will take care of it. It's a personal and private journey. And therefore, these stories will always be there. You'll always look for these stories. It'll never go away. All the material wealth in the world will not take away the spiritual crisis as to why do you exist. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, we also wanted to ask, uh, we did an interview previously on South Asian films, and we spoke about how a lot of South Asian movies draw from South Asian mythology. Um, where else do you see this mythology manifest in today's society? Um, I think I personally believe that as we are moving towards these concepts like diversity and inclusions, and we think we have discovered something new, you know, many of these things have already been there in other cultures. I think diversity and inclusion for me is uh, one way in which the world is rediscovering Indian thoughts without realizing they're discovering Indian thoughts. Mm. I mean, that's the most powerful idea in the current times. That I'm seeing this whole idea of gender fluidity that people are talking about. Hindu mythology is full of gender fluidity mm. and foul poetry. This whole 
uh, but uh, current gender fluidity again in the western model is hatred for gender fixity but the indian model is well some people believe in gender fixed and some will believe in gender fluidity so be fluid about fluidity mm so it goes to the next level it's not this kind of as i said the this great rage against the past is something which is a problem is a very western pathology that needs to be well that's maybe that's what makes them western right so <laughs> otherwise they wouldn't be western so i think it's what makes them western it doesn't have to be universal it will never be universal Mm, and I think from speaking with you and doing our own research, one of the biggest takeaways from Hinduism and Indian mythology is that it's not just one way of living, it's many ways of living mm. and it's very adaptable as well. And it's, yeah. it's the idea of just using the principles and using these stories as a way of guiding your life almost. So it, it, it can kind of move with the times because all of these um, – like I said, all of these principles are just so, you know, even relatable even today. Absolutely. The gods adapt with time. So Ram belongs to a different era. Krishna belongs to a different era. Each one is mm. dealing with circumstances. So this obsession with being difference, being dynamic, changing with time, changing with space, changing with people, that's the big idea. Mm. Mm, yeah. And coming to the close of the episode... How can young South Asian people, you know, much like myself and Sen, and um, particularly those living in the West, start to dip their toes a little bit into learning about Indian mythology and Hinduism? I mean, I know I personally was quite, um, I felt a little bit daunted and didn't know where to start yeah. when I first started looking into things. So what would your advice be? See, honestly, I, I would advise read my books because I'm doing that work. Also yeah. because I compare and contrast. So while you can yeah. tell the stories... I think you need a more slightly more intellectual approach because it is not really it's not seeped in people just don't get the differences in the stories and therefore we try to tell the stories in the same old way and I think that's a dangerous thing mm -hmm. so it's not dangerous but you sort of you miss it up you miss the real flavor of it yeah so if you want to get the flavor of it just get it uh, it will help you so I, I I feel that we should also do a little bit more of compare and contrast important without judgment. As I said, compare and contrast without trying to create hierarchies. If you mm. can do that, I think we learn a lot. Yeah, 100% yeah. back that. I mean, I'm reading your book at the moment, Indian Mythology, um, because I really just wanted to start from the ground up and it's been very informative so far just to set those bases and I'll make my way through some of your other books as well. So 100% um, back that recommendation and we were going to recommend it ourselves actually as well. I must say that Wikipedia is doing a fairly good job. Uh, if you just keep hyperlinking and some of them have really brought out a lot of comparisons and mm. there are a lot of videos that people are bringing out these ideas. I think people are becoming more and more aware of these structural differences. So that's important. Yeah, and for our listeners, we'll put um, all the details for where people can find Devdat's books and his talks on our Instagram because... Um, you know, they're like, you do really strip it back and make it super accessible and practical for people like us to learn about our mythology. So, um, you know, we can't recommend it enough. Uh, well, there's that. Thank you so much again for joining us today. Um, I know we only scratch the surface when it comes to this topic and there's still so much more for us to learn, um, but it's honestly been such an honor, uh, to have gotten the chance to speak with you. You know, we absolutely love that conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
We truly hope you enjoyed this two-part series. This is definitely the most learning I've personally ever done when it comes to this topic. So we hope you found it as insightful as we did. Yeah, I'm so excited to keep learning about Indian mythology because that was just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so again, we'll share some of their thoughts, books and talks on our Instagram page, as well as some other cool things to check out. And we'll be definitely coming back to this topic in a future episode as well. Definitely. Speaking of which, we are on Instagram at stuckinbetween underscore podcast. We've received so many DMs after releasing part one of these series. So DM us and let us know your top takeaway or something new you learnt from this series. And we'll catch you next week for our interview with the fierce and talented Bindi Bosses. Bye.